How many people do you think would would actually die to protect AOC right now? Me in this room? Oh. Um, yeah, let's start there. <laughs> well, uh, one, I'm raising my hand. Wow. Two. What if she? Okay. What if she? I will did? go. I will go to the ground for my Puerto Rican socialist slate queen. <laughs> I will. I will. I will lay my life on the line for her. Um, as I recently did in a text thread with the one outsider in my friend group who thought the Amazon idea was a good idea and was mad about it and blamed them leaving on AOC. <laughs> You're like, yeah, it is her fault. It actually. is her fault, even though it's not her fault at all. But I was like, do not mess with my Puerto Rican queen. <laughs> I, I'm not sure she'd prefer that name, but I mean, I I kind of like it. That's true. She she prefer my Puerto Rican comrade. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what up? We are here. This is uh, Infinity License episode 55 with Brian Pisano. That's you. Hello. I'm here. Hi. And we're also here with Lenny DeFranco. What's up? And we're also here with Comrade in Arms, um, man going today by the name Dick Record. Hello. Thank you for having me. Now, Dick Record, uh, give, us a, record. give us a quick bio of, uh, of Dick Record. Uh wow! You're gonna have to make um, one up on the spot. Cause I am gonna have to make one up on the spot. I guess um, I I like to keep my persona a mystery. Um, I'll keep you guessing the entire episode whether I'm a human or a robot. Um, yeah, he's the AI that keeps calling me from yeah. my home zip, uh, home area code. I'm the AI that EAs that eat ass for all the millennials. <laughs> that are this is the millennial Turing test right here. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm actually just here to promote, as I told you, my uh, keto dog bakery. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. Is the keto dog bakery what is in the I have a dog. As the, do- the dogs are, are the keto ones. It's not like keto people who are buying like treats. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you know what ketosis is and what this like fad is about? Um I think you're just supposed to like eat only protein and fat and not carbs because like people like to torture themselves on like good things, but it's supposed to like dip your blood sugar and you are able to like more effectively burn fat by consuming things that are like supposedly going to drop your insulin levels and keep your like body in a a stage where you are like using fat for energy which is the name ketosis yeah yeah you should have gone by name ketosis like i could have that sounds like a fucking i don't know can i like can i say fucking yeah yeah yeah. oh Oh, that sounds like a fucking like i don't know ketosis like you're not using your real name you can say whatever you want i can say whatever i want yeah exactly wow we've got dick here with us today because he's going to take us inside deep inside all the way inside the world of um engineering interviews specifically uh dick is an engineer uh by trade and by training right yep fair um and uh no i was there when you were getting your um, your certificate. <laughs> and, it's um, very true. And uh, yeah, and and basically the the topic for today is is some, I I don't know anything about engineering, but there's a lot of uh, th- for the smartest people in the world, and they probably are. You guys probably are the smartest people no. in the world, honestly. No, I I believe so. Um, that there's apparently a lot of really Lenny, stupid practices. AOC is the smartest person <laughs> in the world. <laughs> we all know that. Yeah, she's an engineer. Exactly. <laughs> Is it Batman? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about later on. And then we'll also be getting into um, some other recent developments in the sports world uh, and also cryptocurrency. So if you don't like toxic masculinity, uh, turn off this podcast right now or just skip ahead. Or if you like to um, hate listen to toxic masculinity. Yeah, yeah. If you want to gather like evidence and clues about toxic masculinity, then you can keep listening to us talk about how Manny Machado fucked over the White Sox. I, f- I feel like that is a real... 
I think that's the source of our potential new audience is toxically people Mas- that love to toxically hate. masculine. We no, people that. that hate listening to toxic masculinity the same way that people subscribe to New York Times to hate. Reading oh, you want to be like stuff. you want to be like the 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 Milo of like liberal bros. Yeah, like Milo is someone who only faces the left. If if he doesn't have a left to antagonize, he goes. There's no conservative. Like base for him, I'll give credit to that. Guy. His conservative base was readers of Breitbart, which are all sixty-five plus dudes yeah. who live in Florida. Well, they <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, he had no, he had no authentic base. He so we, you want to basically just be an artifact, like of the. You want to be like the black guy on Fox News. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, it's good living in that. I don't know, Jake. Like- you, Jake, you want to be join us and uh, be toxically masculine for profit? I mean, I got the engineer in me, so <laughs> I feel like it's only natural at this point. Do do you feel like do you feel toxic masculinity lends itself a little bit more at um, potentially en- if, uh, technology companies? Or- oh, definitely. Yeah, I think it also it's like it's just by na- like nature of like the being an engineer is all about like flaunting how right you are all the time, and that's <laughs> kind of like one of the tenets of toxic masculinity is like being able to mansplain, for lack of a better word. Um, drop a fucking actually bomb in like every comment you leave on like every sort of like pull request or that's like a code thing. Oh, for, I'm familiar. Yeah. I, I yeah. dabble. I'm, I speak um, toxic masculinity and tech bro ease um, for a living, actually, because I have to be the intermediary essentially between the engineers and the people that actually use our the product. I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> Um, it's pretty bad because I can not communicate. I can barely communicate with both sides, but I still get a job no matter what. So it's kind of a nice little thing where I seem, <laughs> I seem too dumb to the technology people and too smart for the c- customer facing people. <laughs> so it's just the it's the habitable zone of like intelligence. <laughs> um, cool. So I guess uh, we could just start off there. So um, I don't know. Like I, I'll tell you that. Okay, so I, I currently work at a company uh, where there is a very. It's full of extremely nice engineers. Like I love all of the engineers that. There's also like five of them, but um, they're really cool and they seem to like each other a lot. The last company I worked for was totally dysfunctional. The engineering team hated each other. Their their manager was a CTO who didn't know what he was doing, and uh, there was a lot of sniping, a lot of a lot more politicking than I than I thought. And I and I was friends with some of them, and um, this is obviously Grovo, which was a shit show in all oh, ways. Oh yeah. Um, shockingly, uh, not a technology first company and it was actually completely an afterthought. And so they were, they were totally dysfunctional and they ended up talking about rebuilding things a lot. And there was a lot of shit talking about who, you know, this person is actually not that good of a code or whatever. And I was like, kind of trying to get my head around, like, what does that really mean? And like, I don't know, is this kind of politics, like really what people that spend their time building things actually are doing all day or yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of reasons you might like leverage a rebuild of some like existing infrastructure. One, it, it's the like, if you've been there for a while and you feel like you have the power and you want to do something new that you can leverage into like your next job and take your next step in power, you want to use like a new technology. You're obviously, if you have the power to do that, your current job, you're going to push for that because it's just like another bullet point on the resume. And that's kind of like the basis of like what gets you somewhere is like being able to like expand on shit on your resume. I mean, then for other reasons, like you might actually have a, a stake in like the company and you want to see them succeed. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. In the startup world, though, I mean, as an engineer, as like an individual contributor or like a senior IC is what they like kind of refer to them as. You kind of are really just most of the time you're looking out for yourself. So anytime you want to like rebuild something, you'll jump on any new like greenfield project just to get 
some sort of experience on something that's like you can write a blog, go like back and tweet about or write a blog post out and maybe yeah. le- or put it on your LinkedIn and like leverage that into like a new thing. Sometimes it's like practical reasons. Like you'll, you'll flip like the pro you'll turn like your cost down a little bit from switching like different server types or something. But most of the time it's just like, you want to rewrite something for yourself. And that's not me. Proje- I mean, it is me projecting a little bit, <laughs> but it's just kind of like the observations that I've had. And then the thing about like politicking there is like, if you have someone that's new to the company, they're always going to get stuck working on the thing that someone that was like there for a few years wrote and they need to support because that's where like, that's your main line of business. And that's where like all of your revenue comes from. So you're, you don't really have much of a say in that. So there is definitely a lot of politics in there. And then even like just down to like the assertion and like the, the level of like playing like favorites on like reviewing things and like who you're going to involve as like your like lead engineer on certain projects and stuff and things that are like more visible uh, people try to get involved in. So, I mean, it's like as much politicking as people that can like barely function in like a social <laughs> element are able to do. A technical, so related to inheriting like legacy code, kind of yep. like what you talked about, have you ever walked into a like legacy project or legacy code and been like, what was going on here? Uh, <laughs> like- yeah, so currently I'm, I'm on one that a lot of people are like, yeah, this is pretty bad. It's like a lot of spaghetti. It's going to take you a long time to figure it out. And I'm like... This is good. I guess I was at like places before <laughs> this were even worse. And it's, I mean, there's like reading and writing code are, are kind of different because you're, you know, when you're writing, you kind of get to make the decisions for better or worse for yourself. But reading other people's stuff, you can sort of, you have to like get into the mindset of understanding what they were thinking and like how they designed something. Maybe they weren't thinking. I mean, we, I see that all the time, but it's, I, I've fallen into the legacy trap, but I kind of like, Part of me enjoys it too because you can always say, well, I didn't write this, but I'd like to like spend the time figuring it out and like installing like new things or like changing this massively to like kind of take away some tech debt, but also to keep things moving in terms of like keeping like the people that are responsible for pushing new features and like shipping stuff on the product side, like keep getting that stuff out. I mean, I, I see the, the merits in both sides of things. It, it really comes down to like, the nature of the project you're working on. Like I wouldn't mind digging into like older legacy code. That's not great. If there's like an interesting challenge there, but if you're asking me to dig into like some like angel fire website that looks like it has <laughs> like, I don't know, it takes 20 minutes to load because there's like three different CSS style sheets for one, like <laughs> giant canvas text banner or something. I probably wouldn't be too fond of that. No, it makes sense. What is it like to read code? Like if you, if you're tasked with like, Get you like get a new job. You're get you're going up reading code. Is it something you have to interact with in order to figure out? Is it something you can like literally scroll down and read like an article or like how much in your own head is it? Definitely depends on like the language and the tech you're using. Like I'm like what I'm using now, I'm super familiar with for the most part. So it's kind of like I jump in and I can like quickly navigate through things and like draw like a mental diagram of like what components are going here, there. There's like some areas that need to talk to each other on a like a little bit more lower level. But I mean, for the most part, when I'm looking at like languages of, of like that I'm familiar with, at least a little bit, it's fairly easy to sort of wrap your head around what the person was thinking, how the kind of how the thing developed from like the the inside out and like how features were like composed. Of course, when you're like looking at something new, it's just, it's, it's very weird to like put together pieces of um, kind of connecting 
what is happening at a lower level versus like what the language is hoping to achieve with different features and what someone was like, how someone like put something together from essentially nothing existing. And I think like more to your point is just that it's kind of like any sort of language you pick up, like it's at the beginning, it's going to be totally foreign to you. But for someone that's been speaking it forever, it's like they can like, it's like tying your shoes or like riding a bike. It's, I feel like it's something you would never uh, like really lose that experience like I can go and look at languages that I spent like a little bit of time in a few years ago and I can like immediately jump in but as soon as I look at something new and I don't understand like the nuances you're like dealing with stupid like readme docs that were written by people who don't really speak English well like in terms of like being able to communicate and like write coherent sentences or don't want to because they're stubborn so it is very interesting to kind of put together um, like in your head, what's going on and go from like code that this machine, like basically instructions that a machine is understanding and things that can be written in like at this point, like hundreds, thousands of different ways in different languages and like interacted with in so many ways. It's, um, it's, it's cool. I think people kind of like think of it, oh, code is beautiful. Code is art. And I'm like, no, it's, it's more of like a science because there is an objective like right and wrong to things, but the way you can like express it and get from point A to point B between languages definitely differs. So I kind of rambled there, but I'm an no. engineer, so I have that excuse. Yeah. <laughs> um, that makes sense. Lucky I, you're talking at all, honestly. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's um, being but actually the languages are art. <laughs> actually. Uh, no, actually, um, push, push his uh, finger on glasses um, that I'm not wearing. Uh, the the thing you mentioned there about how it's like reading tutorials or reading through readme documents or explanations by people who understand intimately the science of how to put something together. I realize that's the case with like a lot of um, a lot of scientific minded people are very smart people but don't know how to articulate that they know how to do this thing and they can explain it to you and then and explain to you how to do that thing. Because I, I, I've learned this in beer brewing, too. I started doing that because I'm another white God. boy. God. Yeah. We got to have... D- it's true. But like, we got to do a beer brewing episode, but I, I don't want to. Okay. But anyway, I've learned that, like, now that I've done it a bunch of times, I, similar to, like, when I was learning programming stuff, after I did it a couple of times, I'm like, oh, this is what they meant by that. Like, reading even the tutorial books on... Uh, on programming and reading the tutorial books on brewing, I was like, oh, they actually meant this, and now I know how to do this, and now I know how to build this thing, whether it's a database or just like actually laying down what the base for a actual beer would be. But um, but I feel like that's I'm going to segue into t- Dick. You might our real <laughs> the d- Dick record. Our real question is about how. I think because of that, it leads to crazy interview processes for engineers, specifically computer programmers. And I I know you were on the front line of that. Um, Could you talk to us about, A, like what that experience is like, is like actually demonstrating that you have the knowledge to program the way they do and why sometimes it gets absolutely ridiculous as as in my experience? Yeah. So I've interviewed it like a broad range of places i've interviewed at like startups some of the the bigger companies and a lot of them are at this point a lot of them are following the intense like whiteboard algorithm type questions which google kind of i guess they sort of pioneered that back when they were coming up and um a lot of places have just sort of piggybacked off that i'm not sure if it's always been a thing i've heard from different people that like it wasn't always like a huge deal but 
Basically, there, there are two types. I mean, there are a couple types of interviews. So most you'll start with like a, a screen with like a recruiter and they'll like go through some buzzwords and say, hey, now you're going to do like an hour in like a pair programming session. And these will kind of vary in like degree from anything to like basic questions that they just want to see that you can do to just absolutely inane bullshit that like you would never think about since like you were in like your junior like your freshman year of like college studying like discrete mathematics and like writing proofs and like decomposing those like in a computer program so some of the more ridiculous ones i've had were like i had one that was like this take home that they i basically talked to one guy and he's like yeah don't worry we're not going to do like any sort of online coding we're not into that thing and they sent me this take home and they're like yeah it should take you a few hours And what it boiled down to was writing like a distributed consensus algorithm, which is like (laughs) not something you're going to accomplish in a weekend. Like they wanted me to write this thing that like had multiple like points of failure and like there were things communicating with each other and they were maintaining one like consent, like one level of consensus across like it was basically it was a a pretty like basic data store. But that's not something that you're going to want, like you're going to want to spend your time doing so that kind of leads into a lot of like the imposter syndrome and like well i guess you talk about the other side the other side is like you have these basic like you'll go up to a whiteboard and they'll give you this question and you'll basically just have to like dissect it and write like code that the people are going to obviously pick apart i mean it this all depends on where you're interviewing but most places are going to use it as like kind of like a barrier it's basically you trying to prove that you can like come up with some correct yet arbitrarily correct solution like there are obviously correct and incorrect solutions but you're also being judged on like what language you choose like what kind of like what approach you take to solving a problem like if you use like certain techniques people are going to think oh he's like smart here he knows this about the language some people are going to say oh no he's stupid he could use this some places will even like walk you through it but these questions all vary like using vocab like if i'm like writing something i you know when you mature as a writer you realize that simpler is better and all that yeah for sure yeah it's definitely has has a lot to do with that like you can write things in a way more like terse and or expressive way then you can be very long-winded about things but I've even gotten nitpicks down to like, oh, you didn't name this like variable correctly or like your function is like naming is like named stupidly. And I'm like, dude, I'm like we're using a collaborative <laughs> Google Drive. It's like nine o'clock in the morning. I just woke up because I have to go to my fucking job that I need to do to like survive. Yeah. And I'm not writing like I'm not like pro- like dissecting like whether a number is like a prime integer or like a prime number or something like it's just it, the, it's the question. It's kind of nerd math flexing. It, it, there is bit. a lot of nerd math flexing in there, and it's like I, I've come up with solutions where it's like, well, in this case, you're going to run out of memory, and I'm like, well, no, I wouldn't because this language uses like a certain feature, and then I can optimize it by doing this, and they'll be like, well, you didn't write the most, you still didn't write like the most effective algorithm, and I'll be like, well. I also got laid once in the past, like, <laughs> 30 years in my life. Oh, shit. That's the dick I um, know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, sometimes the people will be really cool, and they'll help you through things. Um, sometimes you'll get problems that are like, holy shit, this is something extremely analogous to a problem that I solved. Like, like going through a list and, like, picking out and, like, decomposing, like, representations of, like, a, a people in an address book or something. And something basic like that that like the apps that you know and love use like all the time. Then it's something a little bit more complicated than that. But most of the time it's just like dudes want to like flex on you basically. And I say dudes because it most of the time the interviewers that I've experienced have been like really obnoxious dudes. The best is like when you can tell they're getting an attitude or when they're uninterested and they just sort of like 
trail off their words and try to cut you off. <laughs> yeah, they're just you're like you're wasting my time. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> yep. Okay, here's what it sounds like that does accomplish is that you're like it seems like a lot of the job is, is collaborating, right? Like you yeah, gotta be able to sure. work with people, you gotta work with work in, in material that you haven't created and mm-hmm. you gotta have some humility to like Maybe if something sh- you would want to change something, but you couldn't change it for X reason, like you have to be able to work around that. So it is testing for your flexibility on that. Um, I, I, I have a romantic idea because I don't know what engineers do. I always am romanticized the idea of the whiteboard uh, because I like the idea that like there is to truly test someone's ability to manipulate a machine. You have to like take the machine away. Is that faulty? Is it like something designed to put you out of your comfort zone? Is it not a good representation of what collaboration will look like? It's there. Are, there are questions that are good indicators. You can do, you can definitely do a good job of like expressing yourself. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to like how that how the person that's interviewing you is grading you and how willing they are to like be collaborative with you or introduce like a, a level of solving problems together. And that varies from company to company. Some companies are really like my current place is actually like really good at interviewing. It was one of the best experiences I've had. Uh, but other places that I, I was at were just like there there would be times where you would just be writing things like on your own. And if you weren't figuring it out, they were just like sitting there and not providing any sort of input. So it really it, it kind of varies. The thing about collaboration and communication, it's it's obviously extremely important, but it's really like a different kind of thing. Like you're in these problems, you're very rarely like it, like you're very rarely reinventing the wheel or tying two pieces together or like communicating with someone like between business requirements and implementation and like how you're going to test something or how something is or isn't working between like you and support. It's really, it is just like such a granular level of like making sure you're on or like, you know, enough to like solve this problem. You can do it right. And I've kind of like, my biggest gripe with it is that it isn't very like similar to the day to day of my job. I do like maybe an hour of this kind of stuff a day. And the other time I spent like reviewing like business docs, reviewing support tickets and like digging into like already written code. So my question is just like, how effective is it in terms of like what level of success you'll have at your job unless you are becoming basically just a code monkey and you are producing nothing but like you're given a ticket and you like fill out the code to like have this thing done successfully and you don't interact with anyone it really it comes down to it's a spectrum of questions that are extremely efficient to like gauge whether someone is familiar with like you can kind of flex one or two language features that you may know and you can show off in an interview versus like oh i'm not extremely proficient in everything and this person is obviously going to pick me apart for it i've had mostly passable experiences with whiteboards i've had a couple that were kind of like really out there um amazon and google in particular uh were not great experiences amazon's an interesting one because uh they gave me a two three hour take-home test and i like they were like wow you did so well you did excellent we really want to talk to you and then um, I do this 45 minute phone screen and I get the call and the guy's like, all right, I'm going to give you a, a notepad and you're going to write some code and we're going to write some code. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, cool. So I like fire up this collaborative editor thing. And he's like, here's the first question. And there's like a 10 second pause. And I'm like, is he going to say anything <laughs> or, and then he just copy and paste a, a question. 
And then I'm like, okay, this, this sounds like it sounds like Deep Throat from yeah. like the uh, from the what's it called from the you know, the uh, Bob yeah. Woodward movie, yeah, 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 yeah. All the Kingsmen, yeah, All the Kingsmen. Time is flat circle. Follow, follow the variables. <laughs> yeah, so like it's just like you get copy and paste. Well, what did he do? Wait, what did so he do? So he copy and paste. He copy and pasted some question, and then I'm like talking to myself, and he just doesn't say anything the entire time. And I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm, he's like, okay, good. And then I got that one. He's like, here's another one. And they just copied and pasted <laughs> another question. And I did that. And he was like, all right, cool. And then he copied and pasted another question. And I did that. And I'm like, it's like the middle of summer. I don't have my air conditioner on because you can't hear. Anyway, I'm literally profusely sweating in my underwear and my like furiously typing. And I'm like, this is really like a dehumanizing experience <laughs> after I spent two plus hours like doing a take home assignment to prove that I could write things like efficiently when I'm like, Given the, it, I mean, these things are, uh, some of them are easy to cheat. This one wasn't like particularly, I mean, you could cheat if you wanted to, but there's like not, not much of a point in that. Cause you'll obviously get filtered out at this point, but they were like, yeah, you did great. And now we want you to talk to some guy like who can barely hold a conversation, who is not going to give you any sort of <laughs> feedback, which is nothing what it's like to be an engineer. And so I came Hold up on, with like, let's just pause for a second. Aren't we so, so sad that 25,000 of these people are not coming to Long Island City, Queens? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bummed that these lifeless automatons won't be populating on the subway. <laughs> that psychos that we just built 10 helicopter pads for in Queens, <laughs> or we're going to. Would we even see them on the subway if they're That's working for like 14-hour days? <laughs> That's true. If, if their punch card, like if their clock-in lines up with ours, I guess we might. Uh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the weird chance that they're... I, um, unlike them, I urinate in a bottle for fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> I urinate in a bottle because I'm depressed. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the worst, the best worst part of Amazon is that, so, like, you have this, like, talk with their, their recruiter, and they send you, like, all the, the technology bullshit, and then they send you this list, this PDF, and it's, like, core values of the company. And it's some of the cultiest bullshit I've ever read. I'm not kidding Day you. Day one, motherfucker. One of the things is like, all right, you if you were ever, like if you had an employee on your team, do you think it's more important that you tell them they smell like shit or not hurt their feelings? <laughs> and then it goes into like detail about like, it could be ruining like team morale. You need to have a thick skin. Everyone that works at Amazon needs to have, I'm not like imagining, I'm not like making this <laughs> so up. The, the prescription is yell at that person for smelling yes. bad. No, yeah. No, it's, that's <laughs> like, yep. already ruined if someone smells that bad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. But like, it's just this weird stuff that's like, basically just the most culty and like bizarre like 12 like bullet points and they're like yeah you should study these for your interview and like learn them and come up with an example of each one of them you know it, can I just point something out it, it's like did you ever interview at Facebook no I actually haven't that's the one big company I haven't well because where I was going with this is that Facebook I just know is like very like hacker you know ethic or whatever and yep. there's there's this whole conversation about like what is an engineering friendly culture and it's kind of ironic that these places that are explicitly like got rich off of being specifically engineering friendly cultures are so bad at, at like are there engineers that is this the kind of shit that engineers are into like engineers don't give a shit about culty company values. No, like, nobody gives a fuck about that. I mean, they want to like, like at the end attracting? of the day. Yeah, at the end of the day, I think the Amazon Amazon definitely does attract some good talent. It depends on your office. If you know someone that works, I mean, that's even the thing with bigger companies. You're not always guaranteed to get placed on a team where you can say like, "Oh, I'm going to be working on cool shit." Like that's a huge problem with Google that I've heard is that tons of people get put on shit teams. 
at the end of the day, it's attracting people that like, I guess, want to make a lot of money and kind of that like, I don't know, like the programmer that is kind of into stability and doesn't thrive on chaos, which is like a, a small subset. But I mean, there are people out there that are like that, that just want like their um, like six to nine job at Amazon where they're like running to shit and like <laughs> a, a toilet as and opposed to like a bucket. Kicking, somebody's <laughs> kicking on the stall door, yep. be, or like or the bucket yep. door, just being like, "Why aren't you programming? Yep. <laughs> like, did you respond to that email I sent you as I was kicking this door down?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know some people that are that are at Amazon and and seem to be happy, and then I know people that left after kind of like less than a year just because the the conditions like that are. It really depends on your team, as with most companies. I mean. Same thing I've heard at like Google and, and any of the other big ones. It really depends what team you get placed on. I guess the, the most common thing they have is how they screen candidates and stuff and like that interview process, which is also not like indicative in my experience of the best engineers. Like the best engineers are people that can communicate well. And like that's just so far beyond like the one skill that you need to succeed anything beyond like writing stuff yourself is like being able to like talk through problems with your team. And not uh, and like also, go ballistic. And also navigate those problems via um, large indexes like Google. Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I mean, 75% of my job is how do I do this yeah. on Google? So I don't want to badmouth Google too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but fuck those guys. What about the programmers who explicitly use Bing? Oh, man. <laughs> They're just Binging it. They're just so they all, all like Microsoft of... employees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So then what is, what is like an engineering culture then? Is it like something, is, if engineers communicate or whatever, like... Uh, I mean... It's basically the company that I'm at now is probably the closest I've had to like a company where I would say that there's a good engineering culture. Like we really thrive on like being having open conversation and like just really like a lot of talking, a lot of sharing of like knowledge transfer. Like we do a really good job of that. Um, I think that anything that makes the engineer's life like their quality of life on a day-to-day better like adopting tools that are like adopting tools quickly that are gonna benefit like the team and your experience and make things more automated and like make you able to communicate better and really allow you the autonomy to work on things that you're interested in and kind of have like feedback for your manager where you're giving that and like i see this interesting project that's another big thing too you get um, a, a good engineering culture will expose you to uh, a lot of the projects that are going on and let you kind of um, seg into things that you may be super interested in right, working right. on. Um, I can speak to a bad engineering culture at my last job. Yes, <laughs> yes. So drag I, that culture. Oh, man, that, <laughs> it was so bad. So we had like this guy who was like the VP of engineering was his title, but he was still the guy who was writing all of the like spec docs and, and like tickets and stuff and doing code reviews and it was clearly just because he wanted to shit on everyone that he could he was like this obviously like a a super thinks he's smart phd candidate but dude this guy would like he had clearly had no idea to manage because he would send us like not even vaguely threatening emails like threatening emails with like you could clearly tell he was like just crazy i mean i don't like to throw that word around but we got into we had this like screaming match where he was just yelling in my face about like the most like trivial bullshit and it was just like no one there kind of respected him no one really was excited to work there or people were really kind of dreaded it and he was just it was like this toxic culture fostered by this guy who just thought he was fucking like jesus incarnate and like 
He was, was he a just, fan of the show Rick and Morty on Adult Oh my Swim? god, no. He was this it was this was like the kind of person who was so disconnected from anything that isn't like programming and like technology. It was just I mean, it was just baffling. And also like he would he like at us on Slack at like three o'clock in the morning and like on the belt like, oh, did you know that uh this variable is not going to be updated in the cache properly? And I'm like, I don't even know. I sound like fucking Dracula there. He, this guy did not sound like Dracula. I would have fucked if, with like like I'm not fucked my boss. I would have like fucked with a boss that like sounded like Dracula and sounded like cool. Now this guy was like, or could do literally any of the things Dracula could. Yeah, do. exactly. I mean, that's power. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, this guy was like, uh, it was just. I mean, the most disconcerting thing about it to me at the end of the day is like, yeah, it sucks to have to deal with like all of this bullshit. This is my day to day, but like, imagine like the amount of money a company is like hemorrhaging and like, I don't give a fuck about some Silicon Valley investor bro, like pissing his um, investment in my company away. But it's just like, think of like just the amount of money being pissed away by the team that this guy is managing. I mean, you have me, you have like three other engineers, you have this guy, you have two like senior engineers. I mean, we're talking about like over probably like over a million dollars in salary, just because it's also a PhD inflates your salary, like out the ass. So this guy for two years has been hemorrhaging money and like this money could just go somewhere like so much more beneficial than some shitty ad tech company that's trying to prove that you're like the ads you're serving are going to robots and shit. Yeah. Is there, um, that is a very interesting point. Like just how much money is being wasted. I mean, to be fair, it's you're, you are the means of redistribution of that wealth because you know, if you, however you're spending it, I mean, that money is coming to that company from some VC who only raised that fund because a bunch of other people had too much money to spare and the stock market was too expensive, you know? Oh, exactly. And they yep. just invest, buy, bought some darts to go on the board. No one yep. really cares. That was the main thing. We both read the um, the Theranos book because mm-hmm. that actually was a very non-tech company. I mean, if anyone had any kind of technical sense, they would have realized that it was all... Well, all the technical open. knowledgeable people did know and tried yeah, to throw up flags, yeah. but too, too, many, too many deep pockets in both money and political power wise were invested in it to really go back or even say anything otherwise which right is like, well and the, and the and the political the and the, this money was not smart money what it was was it was all just these old white guys like these old like George Schultz and Henry Kissinger guys that know nothing about technology or medical technology but they just got seduced by the push button allure uh, the, the allure of a push button revolution that is Silicon Valley and like you just yeah invest in a tech company and they're going to change everything they're going to become a unicorn in the process um, which leads me to this question. So you've also uh, been through like the startup gam uh, oh, gauntlet. Yes. Yep. Is there any uh, difference you can perceive in like either the interviewing tactics or the culture of a startup versus like one of these behemoths? I would say a lot of startups are ripping off of the the big company interview process, but a lot are also doing take home assignments. It's a little bit easier to do it as a startup because you interview with a lot uh, for a lot less positions than like you get a lot of le- lot less resumes. Uh, everyone's basically trying to like rip off the same kind of interview style that they think's been pioneered, like the the big companies that all the little companies like fetishize and like love to fillet on their like blogs or like we have X Google, we have X Facebook. Uh, there's definitely similarity in terms of like the like big swinging dicks. Like every every I think if you were to like project an engineer's ideal like the average engineer is like ideal career path it would be work for a big tech company and then go be a vp or some c-level executive at a startup uh, which is very much in line with toxic masculinity i mean they want to boss people around that's basically what it comes down to i found is like half of engineering is like people that enjoy problem solving 
and half is just like white bros that have found a new way to redistribute money like into their own pocket and like boss people around. Well, before the previous two tech booms, it was kind of just problem solving nerdy ass people. Yeah, who just yep. it was just people that are like, I genuinely just love my computer and love the idea that I could just like spend hours untangling this this language, this computer language program. Um, and then now it's just because it's like, well, now there's a lot of eyes on it and there's a lot of people that are like, hmm, this is a fun little like way for me to play Monopoly slash lottery at the same time. Uh, and I can just, I have plenty of disposable income to throw at some Harvard MBAs or whatever. And then like... Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you've been to places like a, like an Ivy League club too, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I I've interviewed at places that were just like complete, like utter like clicks of people that were at like some Ivy League school, and then that person clearly like has a boner for their school, and like the the CTO or VP only wanted to hire people from like that area of ex like that area. I mean, there's there's also like the umbrella. This programmer's yeah. a Yale man, <laughs> which is totally antithetical to the vi- like the entire culture of engineering, right? Like, it's yeah, so I mean, democratic. It's the the programmer. I mean, you you got a Red Bull in one hand, you got a Jewel in the other, and like you're just fucking crushing some good like thon, bro. You're just like fucking slinging the most thread safe, efficient code. Um, yeah, I, I experienced definitely a, a bit of that. I think it is very, very much gravitates towards like finance, especially in New York. A lot of the fintech companies are very broy. Uh, the startups are very broy. I interviewed at like um, like Disney slash MLB, and they were a little bit more on the broy side, but kind of a little bit more on the techie side, which was which was cool. Um, I've interviewed at yeah. Are like, you going to build some advanced stats for for? Judging no, I, I interviewed it for like the streaming platform. Uh, Is that HBO? Uh, they I thought do, MLB uses they, HBO. So they do, or HBO kind of uses MLB, one of oh, the divisions of MLB. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. and then like Disney Disney bought all of that bullshit now, and they, they're running it all, and they're going to create a competitor to Netflix. Oh boy! Netflix engineering culture is pretty interesting. If you fuck something up, you get shot in the parking lot after work. (laughs) That's what. Well, I can't say. I know. I know somebody else that was almost to the interview stage of a Netflix thing, and it's like the their culture document is intimidating to the point of where it's like, look, we only reward all stars here, and if you're not an all star, then we have we have a very competitive exit package, and yep. we just give give you that money to walk. LinkedIn yeah. too, I think that yeah. Oh really? Oh, man. Well, no, the, both of them. Yeah, the the culture code or whatever from uh from from Netflix is very famous. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you uh, actually, if you um, so what happens at Netflix is if you are shitty. Uh, before you leave, they put you in a room and you have to like unprogram your way out of whatever sort of algorithm they force you to like use to watch Netflix for the rest of your life. <laughs> basically Bandersnatch. Don't yeah, yeah don't write Black Mirror episodes for them. This yeah. is not like look, I'm trying to sell this stuff to these people. <laughs> uh, if you're listening, Jeff, you'll be forgiven if you bring back Dawson's Creek with the original theme song. That's all I have to say. I don't wait. What? Yeah, the song. Sean Coleman song. Yeah. yeah. To be um. Or no, that's I'm sorry, that's Paula. Uh, Paula. Paula. Paula Cole. Paula Cole. That's yeah, Paula Cole. Um, cool. Let's uh, transition into another uh, tech uh, area. Um, something that Brian and I have never spent any money in. Zero dollars. Uh, never have we wagered any of it against each other. No, no, no. Never have we been bear. No, I actually still think that cryptocurrency generally is like the way to go. 
I'm very, oh yeah, I'm still bullish on Bitcoin, and yeah, yeah, not because too. of my position in it. But, but and you're um, pretty, you're pretty, uh, you're like familiar with it. But um, all right, so and you are kind of skeptical though about uh, what the underlying technology. Um, tell what do you think about? Oh, you said it, previously, uh, you're, yeah, particularly distributed ledgers. I just, I, I don't know how you can achieve like a level of ubiquity with using like the the digital ledger like the distributed ledger technology where you're essentially as you scale you're becoming more and more energy hungry to like prove your like the the correctness of hashes on the blockchain and that's just kind of like from my elementary understanding of like all these kind of cryptocurrencies and exchanges that come out it's like you have bitcoin which is obviously the most popular and has been like subject to that debate a lot. And then you have other ones that are like, Oh, we're going to write a white paper where we show you how we do this. But then you're sacrificing some of like some aspect of Bitcoin that like is supposed to be like, like the safety or like the guarantee. And I'm honestly, I'm not like too big on the tech, but that's just like my very like cursory understanding of, I mean, you've seen how much energy it uses as Bitcoin, like as the blockchain has grown, it's like you're computing just an exponentially larger number of mathematical equations, which is obviously going to take substantially more computing power to like run the machines that do this. So if it does become like a ubiquitous thing, how do we scale that in, and like keep it energy efficient? is kind of like i'm i'm not like as an investor i just wouldn't find myself interested in that due to like the person i am i'm too like too much of an emotional person to put my money in things that can swing like that um and i think that that's like one of the reasons i've mainly that is the reason i've steered clear of it but from like a tech standpoint that's just kind of like my read on it is like how do you scale any of these things and like promise all of the benefits that they do and do it in like an energy efficient way. Can you answer a question for me? Why, sure. when I was looking at buying like GPUs, they were saying like th- never been previously used, or like it was a scandal if you bought one that had been previously used. What is bad about that? Um, so the, I mean, you're. It's obviously you're like running computations if you're like mining Bitcoin or something through it. You're running computations through it, and the chip has a, a limited number of cycles that it can go through, basically, in its life uh, as like a functioning machine. So anything like if, if you're advertising GPUs that haven't been used, they're obviously saying like no one has been mining like idly mining Bitcoin and stuff and running like electricity through this right. like time and time again, and that will obviously degrade the the hardware itself. I, wow, that's so interesting. I love. I kind of you know I, the energy intake thing. I totally I accept that criticism of it. I do think that it's cool that Bitcoin is um, and cryptocurrency and mining is a technology that forces us to come to terms with like the physical limitations of hardware more than I feel like other technologies have. Like for example, you were mentioning that there are languages where you can like you can control uh, the actual physical operation of the computer at like a pretty root level, right? Yeah, I mean most languages I never interact yeah. with that stuff though. So but with, so it's cool to see that with Bitcoin. Right. I think that that actually you touch on to me what is one of the biggest merits of the the crypto boom is getting people um, a bigger understanding of what machines are doing behind the scenes and as opposed to just like logging onto Twitter or logging onto like Facebook or like Snapchat, yeah, like sending just works mentality. Yeah. Like yeah. Like you, I remember a couple of years ago, I was like, <laughs> this is making myself sound real cool. I was like explaining like cryptocurrency and Bitcoin at a party oh, and everyone dick. was like, wow, I was, I was, I mean, I was that mansplaining guy. I, 
I'm, when it comes to cryptocurrency, yeah, give me one and a half beers and I'll gladly spur you out you about Dick it. Record, you have found a home here on the Infinity <laughs> Lessons podcast because that's all we do. <laughs> no, I definitely think there's merits in, in uh, people understanding, getting a better understanding. If people are like, why is it better for like a graphics card to mine Bitcoin than a processor? And like just being able to like feed my ego and explain that while um, people are kind of like hanging out in like a casual setting and while people actually care about it is is pretty cool um it's definitely there are definitely a lot of like i actually honestly i i enjoy reading the first page of all the white papers before i fall asleep i wish they were a little <laughs> bit less academic because i they're all dude they're all such bullshit i, I used yeah, to have to read white paper shit. when i was yeah. i was covering the ico space uh last year every single one of them i mean if they weren't like an overt fraud, like the one that had some sort of blockchain solution for like a home marijuana grower, which <laughs> like, there's things that had literally no connection to any kind of like distributed ledger. There was no benefit to having a blockchain. There was no consensus mechanism. There was a world's first Sharia compliant um, <laughs> cryptocurrency, which had no blockchain. Because we got to get sponsorship blockchain. From them. <laughs> blockchain, um, according to the, there's one particular tenant of Sharia law. Which isn't, by the way, a bad idea. Like on its own, it's something about um, it's prohibition against gambling and also uh, like not sp- uh, anti-speculation. And so the idea is that by mining Bitcoin counts as a kind of gambling. Can uh, you so imagine the imam? But the point is, it wasn't like there's. <laughs> Who was the imam that said this is not oh, halal? Dude, no, they, there's, a, there's an entire industry of of like clerics that issue fatwas about various things yeah. you want to hear a funny one this is comes from a very different domain i read a i read a book called word freak about uh competitive scrabble and one of the most uh the, the most promising prodigies was a new york city hasidic child who um encountered a, a canonical problem because the main tournaments were always held on saturdays but in his religion you couldn't write on saturdays and so the edict whatever the hasidic version of a fatwa that was issued was as long as he plays that on a board that's like that deluxe scrabble board because there's the ridges between the tiles you know to hold it in like a moving car if he plays on that board then there's something separating the tiles and it doesn't constitute writing so he's allowed to do it on saturday that's amazing yeah (laughs) that makes it makes the the the, like nuances of sharia law like much more like logical we should cut in the clip of homer simpson going like like, i was doing a simple tax proposal and i accidentally found out that there is no god (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and so no no but like i think that yeah cryptocurrency has totally has has monetized but also democratized the need to care about like hardware limitations and stuff and i think that the democratization of it is kind of one critical feature that is really cool like you know it it does work like to the extent put it this way bitcoin if you were judging it by the because you would you mentioned like i don't see how there's really going to be like the uptake or something um or or what is the the use case i think is like a pretty commonly floated question and it's a very good one um but like the amount of use it has would easily um, maybe not a ten-year-old company because that's a pretty long time, but it has way more usage than a lot of companies that we consider. Like I bet more people use Bitcoin than use Asana, you know, um, yeah. or any or, or or you know, or insert a less used uh, piece of software. Yeah, like well, Basecamp or something. And you know, like so it does have traction. It's just that the what is being judged against is a total social takeover of the fundamental concept of currency. And so yeah, it hasn't achieved that yet. But I totally think that. You know the the there's going to be an order of operations in which it happens. Like there has to be the established store of value first. 
And then if that happens, then other things can naturally happen. But it's much more like, I mean, I just buy the theory that this is, you know, communications technology in like the 50s or 60s or 70s versus this is, you know, communications technology in the 90s and like the, the horizon in front of us. Like we're going to retire. My sister asked me recently, like, how's your Bitcoin doing? And I was like, right on track to have it be worth something by the time I retire. <laughs> but even if that's true, it's going to be, it's still like the prediction's not wrong. It's just like. It's also it's, been relatively stable recently. Yeah, and stability it, is, is going to be key for it. The thing that, that I keep waiting for is that there's going to be some seizure of wealth from the Bolsonaro regime. They're going to steal all the doctor's money in Brazil, and the doctors are going to need a way to put it in something quick. And something like that is going to happen, and another one will happen, and eventually it'll be worth something. And you know, that's that's also my moonshot idea, Lenny. So you and I are tied in together on this podcast and in our Bitcoin wealth together. It does give us a reason to like take over some poor Eastern European country. Yeah, like it does give us a reason, well, to like we always planned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Obviously, uh, <laughs> that was the long play. Well, uh, one last question on this, but the the so but you talked about scale, yeah, um, before, and so the one threat to scale, not only just from an energy concern, but a lot of people talk about it's like quantum computing. Yeah, was it like so because quantum computing could potentially just break down, could could run processing power faster than much, it, yeah. So then even then, uh, uh, the blockchain would even be able to. to what if the blockchain is running on quantum computers though? Well, the thing is that that it would break down the algorithm to the point of where you could actually break. The ability yeah. to solve the problem right. faster than like, yep. it's intended to be solved. Yep. So that's Even, if we figure out. But, so yeah. is so to protect Lenny and I's cryptocurrency investment. Please tell us quantum computing is not real and actually viable. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you whatever you want to hear. No, no, tell no, me, no, no um, sincerely. Tell I, me, like, yeah, what that's, you think about that's another thing. Yeah. I, I, yeah, we're probably a, a we're probably a long way away from that. But I mean, yeah, that is a limitation. Anything as we like like break the limits of what we are familiar with now. And we come up with things that are able to like go through more CPU cycles and go through like these computations and, and calculating things way faster. It's hard to say like what, I mean, it's really hard to say like what amount of like safety you'll need where like a certain number of computations necessary is like a certain number of computations is like sufficient to guarantee not being able to brute force something. I mean, there's a lot more, uh, if, if that is like an actual threat to Bitcoin, there are a lot more pertinent things that it's probably a bigger threat towards like, like security things, like security systems that are built, uh, like without, like with reasoning around things, not being brute forcible, um, and, and being able to like flip through those computations at a way quicker pace with more powerful computers, um, is, is obviously concerning. It's definitely, I mean, something that you'll you'll be hearing more about and hopefully it'll have the ubiquity that like a gpu being used mining for bitcoin has i really haven't like dug into it too much uh but i can say that anything that like it will increase like the computing power at that magnitude that they propose even like more like next level advancements on chips and stuff is yeah. like you cut down the number of like the the basically the size of the chip and how long it takes for like an electrical signal to travel even like a slight amount you're decreasing like exponentially how like how long it'll take for a computation to occur so even outside of quantum computing there's like considerations as far as like scale and and like that on that side of like how we're going to be like if we're able to even like tap into the speed that we've like 
advanced over the last decade or so, we could like in a decade from now, we could be looking at Bitcoin and laughing and saying like, holy shit, I can't believe we ever thought that would be even close to sufficient as far as like maintaining a level of safety in terms of like hashing. Huh. Interesting. That's it. That answered my question. Uh, I rest my case and also still in bullish on Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, let, with a couple minutes left, um, I just want to mention that I'm glad Manny Machado's not on the White Sox. He can go fuck himself. He's, he's on the record. He's, the White he, Sox fan is on the record. He can go. Th- I, I look forward to watching him throw bats at umpires next year and, like, you know, almost certainly running someone over with his car when he's drunk. He's just going to be and, forgotten about on the Padres. It's the Padres. That's just- actually, like, dope, though. Like, I would fucking love to, like, go chill in San Diego for my entire career, get paid $300 million to live in beautiful weather and have absolutely no level of success around me and have a reason <laughs> to not ever win a championship. I got news for you. San Diego is not beautiful weather. It is really? going to be 130 degrees in the summer. By the time this contract is up, <laughs> <laughs> ten years from now, it's, it's, 100, it's 115 degrees in the summer in San Diego. Now he didn't you read add it. in a, dec, a de- degree a decade. He did, yeah, he didn't read the UN climate change report. Obviously, no. <laughs> like no, like no. the MLB Players Association sent out to everybody. They're like, hey, for your considerations on to what market you move to next, make sure you read the UN, UN climate. That's really report. funny, actually. Yeah, Chicago's going to have uh, the South Side, especially which is closer to the equator than the Cubs, um, is going to have. Um, uh, San Diego's climate by the time uh, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are coming around the bend again. You know, I'm going to just, you know, as like one of the first years of my life that I've been like experiencing a uh, ever really experiencing a Yankees team that has a ton of like farm grown talent. It's nice that no one can like look at me and like call me like a Bankies fan like people did in college <laughs> and, and like. I mean, I would that. be like, hey, kiss the rings, motherfucker. <laughs> As you do. Hey, that was a, ri- a rite of passage in college. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. If you went to college in the New York metro area, it was, and also you did a signature infinity license move, which is do the New York area shithead. Hey. Uh, <laughs> I was, yeah. Uh, I was thinking about fuck like, you yeah. count the rings. <laughs> I can count all two of my rings because I'm a Mets fan. <laughs> um, oh, God. Yeah, I mean, Yankees have so many rings that like most of their fans can't even count that. Did you know that actually? Te- <laughs> technically, technically, they don't have twenty-seven rings. They have twenty-five rings because two of the years that they won, the reward wasn't a. I think it's. I think it was two of the years. The war- reward wasn't a ring. It was a pocket watch. Oh, cool. So really te- that. that's a fun like baseball anecdote. That's pretty that's dope. Like, yeah. I I would like love like a monocle or something. Imagine you just have this <laughs> fucking or like grills. Like, As imagine this guy. <laughs> yeah, they should because yeah because they know it's going to be a historical artifact. They should give something that's of the style of the time. Like during the Paul Wall era, they would give you a grill. During the yep. monocle era, they give you a monocle. What would it be now? Like a Supreme jacket? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I saw in the airport the other day. I saw like an a AirPod, knock- pair of Yeezys, a, 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 a knockoff. <laughs> New York Supreme, like it was like a, it was Supreme, but it was a New York hoodie. It just said New York for like tourists to buy, and I was like, I want that so bad. <laughs> like, like, Buying a, a baseball team and like all the organizational members worth of Yeezys would be like the GDP of Uganda. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> all right, on that note, um, Dick, it's been real. Thank you, thank you for having me. Thanks um, for teaching us about the computers. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> now I know how to now I know how the screensaver works, and I would like to plug something. That's ahead, like my my near my partnership with our former guest of the show's business at Pretty Good Tours NYC. Oh yeah, tell yeah, us about I'll that. I'll be doing walking tours in Lower Manhattan. Um, it's a new Amsterdam themed tour, so we're going to be touring the formerly known as New York, formerly known as New Amsterdam region of the city, and talking about our roots as a Dutch colony that didn't work out. 
that lasted for about 50 years, and then it became an English colony. Cool. Uh, where well, can we go to learn about that? Uh, you can go to prettygoodtoursnyc.com. Cool. And, or just I'll go take it. one of your tours. Yeah. I'll well, there'll be more. So there's going to be one coming up. This uh, this Friday will be out by then. But there will be many on Saturdays and Sundays coming up in the spring. Come heckle Brian with me. Don't do that. Uh, Dick, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Dick.